0: This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. If you're making a financial decision, am I coming from fear? Am I coming from abundance? And if I'm coming from fear, is this my belief or someone else's
1: belief? Today on Bridging the Gap, I am joined by Robin Hanover, the founder and a thought leader at Robin Hanover Financial Consulting and Coaching. Robin opens up about her journey of how she entered into the financial industry and how she has landed her current career as a financial consultant advisor and coach who helps to support people struggling within their financial journey. We dive into the importance of the relationship between client and advisor, the importance of a client referral, and Robin's view on adopting the emotional side of the industry versus the analytical side. This, again, is something that we have talked about a lot on the podcast and in a lot of the content on mattreyer.com, and Robin has a great perspective on it. Robin also helps explain how we, as advisors, can help to psychologically rewire our clients within their financial journey and how we can help them to understand that they are not stuck in a financial situation. How many conversations like that have we had? Robin helps us overcome this. So let's jump into this insightful conversation with Robin Hanover. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Robin Hanover, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Joining us from Naples, Florida, somewhere I know quite well, a little bit south of me, but how's everything down in Naples? Hot, 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 and hotter? Hot,
0: yes, hot, hot, hot. It's brutal. You know, and I've been here now for six years, coming from California, and I, I get it why people are snowbirds here. It's almost like when October comes, you can open up the windows, and like the angels come, they sing, and the, the Red Sea parts, and but it is brutal August and September, just brutal. You know,
1: it is, and you, you're you were born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Another spot that has a spot in my heart. My mom was from Columbus, born and raised, but and now lives in Florida. But you know, I always say I'd rather the hot heat. Than I would the cold, cold, brutal winters Ugh. of of you know the winter up in Columbus. Oh,
0: you, you know, and I was one, and of course I grew up in the '70s and '80s, and in the '70s we had that big snowstorm, and you know my parents are actually from Cleveland, and then we moved to Columbus, but I think it was like '74. It was like the blizzard of all blizzards, and but it's just gray. You know what I mean? Like I can handle the cold if there's sun, but if it's gray, it's mm. like get me out of here now and I used to suffer from that seasonal effect disorder and I just remember I'm like, even the summers are gray and I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Gotta get out. It's
1: real. It's real. I'll go visit in the summer every once in a while, but I won't, I won't be visiting in the winter anytime soon. And, you know, the Ohio state is close to where you grew up and we were talking about before we aired and, or we started recording about college football and, and, you know, there's, this is actually a really cool segue because I, there was a book I read about Georgia football and Alabama football called it takes what it takes by a gentleman by the name of Trevor Moad, which talked about helping their teams. He was their psychology coach, their mental coach for their teams and helping them have have their mindset of living in the moment and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today and i'm I, you know i know you went through some of these changes of how do you change your mindset and i'm super intrigued to get to that but before we do i i've got to always ask the question of i'm super curious of how you got to where you are right to be you know talking about training financial advisors coaching financial advisors coaching being a life coach you know being a financial advisor in your past what's your journey and i always start that question so i want to know your journey but i always start that by asking you know the 13 year old robin hanover was this what she wanted to do what did the 13 year old robin hanover want to do
0: oh my gosh actually you know so i'm an eighties girl. So I graduated in 84 and, you know, back then I was that I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I wanted to go out and be, you know, I think, I forget what movie it was, but I think Melanie Griffith was in it and Harrison Ford. Anyway, I'll, I'll think of it, but such a great movie. And of course, you know, it was all about the big shoulder pads and corporate and all of that. And the male dominated fields and, and, My 13 year old self was fabulous with money. I was always great at making money. I had like a babysitting empire at 11 because that's when you were told to start working. I mean, that's the Midwest, you know, you start working and mow lawns or babysit or whatever. you know, the math part was always a struggle for me. I mean, it was like algebra was like, what's the point? And so but I was always really good at seeing numbers. And you know, I think the way to describe it is like the Queen's Gambit, if you've ever seen that movie, it's like I can see it, you know, when I work with my clients strategy is like, that's what I see, I see all the different things and all the different pieces of puzzles to kind of put together. And I like numbers numbers to me are I want to use the word clean but they're just it's truth numbers are truth and math is truth and i I love that it's just pretty black and white but what we do as humans we put an, an emotion attached to a number you know and it's interesting because you know you see a number in your bank account or you see a number when you step on a scale and you make it mean something that it doesn't really mean anything it's just a neutral thing numbers are neutral so I don't know what happened and how it happened but I was going to school I went to the Ohio State University in 84 And I took a job as a stockbroker assistant and back in 85 and 86, I mean, of course the market was completely different then and we did we did actually the old ticker we did paper you know orders and stock orders and it was crazy and long story short i got my license and i was there for a couple of years and then the market crashed in 87 so it was definitely a, a very unique experience because you know i always mention the wolf of wall street that movie it was very similar to that the 80s were very you know, especially in the financial markets, it really was, it was just like this, this excess, you know, I think the eighties, we talk about the excess and, you know, there was cell phones that were bigger than our suitcases and things like that. It was such a fun time to be, you know, an adult, but it was also interesting as a female in that time. And I remember being asked to move to the back of the room because they didn't want the females up front. And, you know, so things back then, would be, you know, you would sue someone for now. And it was a very interesting journey. And shortly after the market crash, my dad passed away. He was my age, I'm 56 and he died from juvenile diabetes. So I had grown up with my dad having type one diabetes. And he always, he had his own printing business. My grandfather had his own business. So I came from a a family of entrepreneurs. So I saw my dad struggle financially, you know, the ups and downs of running your own company. And then when he passed away, I was so shocked that he didn't have anything put in place. Of course, he couldn't get life insurance because he had type 1 diabetes he couldn't qualify but I remember watching my mom and of course you know she didn't know anything about the money and where things were and you know I was 26 at the time and I basically had to sell the house I grew up in my dad's you know business We, he was a skeet shooter. So he was a national champion skeet shooter. So I had to sell all of his, you know, guns and we basically sold everything. And I moved my mom down to Hilton Head, South Carolina, where my dad passed away. So it was such a, an opening, opening experience for me from a financial standpoint. And that's kind of my why of why, you know, I was out of the industry for a while after that, and then I jumped back in, in 2010, basically, and after the 2008 market crash. And it changed my perspective on being in the business and more toward a financial planning standpoint and not just being a stockbroker. So that was kind of like a nutshell in there of all of the transitions.
1: What a a journey. You know, I I always tell, I mean, it's the, one of the coolest things about these, this podcast and, and the people that I'm fortunate to talk with is that the journey to get where they are, the impact that they're making, whether it be within marketing, whether it be within consulting and coaching, whether it be within being an advisor, whatever it is across the spectrum, everybody's journey is so unique. And it's just incredible to hear, you know, what is impacting people, and I, I, I take a lot from that. And I think that there's a lot that we can take from it in the industry. Is that understanding deeply and intently people's journey can help us guide them more effectively into the future. And and I think that I, I feel that we sometimes brush over that because yep. of the industry we are in where, yep. well, we're doing the planning, we know what they need to get to. So let's just help them get there, but we don't know where they came from. Yeah. And you think about like the people that were growing up, you know, 13 to 20 and they went through a war or they went through, you know, the savings and loans crisis or whatever, they're going to have a different personality. And I, and Morgan Housel talks about this in the, in the, in the, the psychology of money. money. It's right over here. And I just think it's super interesting, but we don't tend to do that. And so uh, I'm curious, you know, as you talk with advisors, are more advisors doing that than I'm aware of, or or what is the challenge that keeps advisors from doing that? Is it a time thing? Is it a lack of education thing? Is it a focus on the future and what we can control, which even though we can't control the future, but you get what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, I think there's I think the sad thing about our industry right now is that for as much as things have changed, they really haven't changed and grown like other businesses Mm -hmm. have evolved in, you know, here we are in 2022. And they're still like this. It's still very male dominated. Women are not entering the financial market. I think the last quote I saw was like, less than 30% of women are in the financial industry. They're they're coming. But I I still think that there's like this ceiling of, you know, we've always done it this way. You know, we need to focus on the sales. We need to focus on bringing in new assets under management. We need to, that's where the focus. And I think the focus really needs to be, what are we providing from a value to our clients? Are we really asking the questions, what is important to you about your money? What is it? And I think going back to your question, I think it's a combination of what I've seen in advisors. I think they're not confident in asking the questions. They tiptoe around those deeper questions because they don't want to you know, either piss somebody off or you know, make someone uncomfortable, but you have to be uncomfortable mm. to really get to the bottom of how they make their financial decisions because yeah, think- that's what they do.
1: That is super interesting in the sense of, you know, making people feel uncomfortable to get to where they need to go to, because we don't want to be confrontational in this industry. We don't want to feel, and there's a lot of like, because of the stigma of the outside world, making us feel like in the industry that we are, you know, salesy or you know, yeah. slinging product or whatever, we try to go, we, the, the newer generation in the industry is trying to go on the other side of it, that we're not yeah. that way. And we don't want to, we don't want to be brash. We don't want to be shovy right. or pushy. But sometimes we got to be to help the client themselves. And I I think that asking those right questions, which is so powerful that people tend to forget. We don't, I think that, you know, asking open-ended questions, making people think allows them to feel that way of an ownership and and thought, as opposed to just being like, yes, no questions. Like, all right, do you have a will? Yes. But then like asking, what do you want with your will? What do you want when you die? Right. Those types of questions. And I'm curious of how we can help, you know, you're you've, you consult and coach a lot of advisors and you've yep. done it for a while. Yep. How, how do we, how do we help the younger generation of advisors, the next gen of advisors to get to that point and be comfortable with that, even though they may be newer or maybe have a, just a, you know, five or 10 years of experience under their belt.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, it was like, as I've been in the business for so long, it was always about you, your success was based on your AUM. You know, I I think the success to me is how long your clients stay with you and how they trust you. And because, you know, I've moved many times to different custodians and all of that. And I'm grateful that for all of my moves, my clients have always stayed with me and you know that tells me it's like okay i'm doing something right but i can always do something better and i think the questions not only open ended questions but i think it's giving the clients the space to be able to share about their lives to be able to share about hey what is keeping you up at night what is your main concern what where are you now are things working what's what's not working and and what would you like to see change And I think sometimes advisors, from their own lack of security in their own self and in their own business as they're brand new, they feel like they need to show them the charts or show them the beautiful financial plan. But you know what? Most people don't even look at the financial plan. They don't really care. They do. They want to get from point A to point B but really the main part is the journey in between and things can come up and upset the plan and then you're starting over from scratch. So I think, you know, especially like I'm going through now taking care of my 84 year old mom. I mean, there is a long-term care event that we are dealing with right now. As you know, from being a CFA, you can analyze, you can do everything possible. Yet if they get wiped out, there goes their, you know, their legacy there. So I think it's not only asking the right questions, but also being okay with giving the client space and not talking over them, not giving them the answer, but allowing them to actually create the plan themselves and be more of a team than that person sitting across the desk.
1: Yeah, it, it goes to I mean every leader hears this in in many leadership books is you know lead by helping people have a sense of ownership right they're yep. better they're going to be better team members if they feel a sense of ownership as opposed to being nobody likes to be told what to do people like right. to come to the conclusion themselves and they feel that they own it it's their idea whether it's their idea or not right that's how you negotiate that's how you lead right. that's how you you advise I think which is 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 a powerful statement and I think that the industry is also going through this shift and this is kind of where I wanted to get to as well with, you know, going from being an industry when you started of, you know, slinging product, being a broker, being the stock person, quote unquote, to now having that commoditized, having to reinvent our value and now focusing a lot more on behavioral psychology and the psychological aspect of it and the mentality aspect of it, which gets to changing mindsets, changing mindsets of our industry, changing mindsets of how people view their value in the industry, how people that our clients value their advisor, right? Yeah. I think there's mindset shifts on both sides. And you've gone through many mindset shifts, right? In terms of your life. I'm curious if you can talk through some of those and and how you've been able to shift your mindset and how you're helping others shift their mindset because that I think is ultimately the root of what is going to cause change in our industry and something we need to dive deeper into as a whole.
0: Oh, for sure and I think you know watching my dad and watching my mom you know struggle and you know I had my own scarcity mindset coming up or being triggered by some of those things and and the bottom line is is that when we make financial decisions they're either from greed or fear but the underlying thing regarding both of those is scarcity. They're both a scarcity mindset. And so, you know, my parents were depression era babies and I still to this day, I mean, watch my mom put water in her shampoo and I it's, you know, to extend it, it's crazy to me, but you know, I think when you live in that mindset, you know, and, and I was taught, you know, you, you work hard, you save your money, then you can retire. Well, my dad never made it to retirement. And I think that's what totally shifted for me. It was like, okay, I really wanna have fun now. I really want to enjoy my life because you don't know what and when you're gonna go or what's gonna happen. So I think I made that mindset shift realizing that life is short. And you can have the best plan and you can have all the money saved, but, you know, if your health is going, you you know, it really is true that health is wealth. So I made that early shift in my 30s and, you know, really focusing on taking care of myself and really from getting more from a holistic wellness standpoint and then diving back into the financial industry in 2010. You know, I made the shifts again because it was almost like I couldn't figure out when you have this beautiful, you know, financial plan and you have your clients not following through. I was looking at, okay, was the charts wrong? Was was it something that I was missing? And then I threw my own deeper work of, you know my own coaching. I hired a coach that was really important for me and realized that my own beliefs around my financial, I was putting on my clients. It's like, okay, you do this, 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 and this. But you know, it goes back to what you what you see and witness as an inner child. It's like you're, you know, you witness as your parents, you witness as your grandparents. And we take on these beliefs that we have to question and ask ourselves, are these beliefs mine or are they somebody else's? And I realized that my clients were actually responding in the way that their parents did. And then it just started clicking for me. It was like, okay, I watched their behaviors, even though logically, financially, numbers wise, it didn't make sense. They were still making the choices, the complete opposite. And, I just really got intuitive with my clients and figuring out what's going on. And it's because they were making these decisions based on what their parents did or what their grandparents did. And that's when I started diving into okay what can we do what how can we change this can we go into this you know these questions of like what happened during your childhood what did you witness what you know and even my 30 40 year old clients now they witnessed their parents going through 2008 they witnessed their parents going through a couple of market crashes so they're very interesting, very, very conservative, a lot of them. And, um, and it's based on that fear and what they saw their parents struggle with.
1: You know, that reminds me of a, an article I read by Tim Ferriss, who runs the Tim Ferriss show multi, you know, best-selling author of many books, the four hour work week. And he, he wrote an article about the inability to rewire his brain. He grew up in a family that was not well off. And, uh, the, the article was about toilet paper, so just bear with me. But it was about, you know, he's, he's sitting there in the bathroom using single-ply toilet paper at this age that he's at, super successful, right? He's invested in gobs amount of startup unicorn companies, best-selling author, does well. He's like, I don't know why I'm still using it, but he he says because he he it, you, we can't rewire. It's hard to rewire ourselves, yeah. but we're we're okay. Like we don't use Microsoft DOS anymore. We use <laughs> Microsoft Windows or Apple iOS. Like we're very easy at upgrading our iOS system when it comes out, but we can't rewire ourselves. It's so difficult for us to do it, but we're so willing to do it. And other tell other people to rewire, yeah. do it within other systems. He's like, I don't know why I can afford double ply toilet paper now but I can't rewire from my my past. Yeah. And that is at the root of it a lot of the challenges that are faced inside of the wealth management industry and I and I'm I'm curious on you know you mentioned you know how you know asking questions getting deeper and helping them understand but they still have to take an action. Yeah. Right. And that's the challenge. And so, you know, 40, 50 years of wiring one way, how do we get them to unwire psychologically to help keep them because they could be more aggressive? They, yeah. They're not in their parents' shoes, right? But right. they only know that way. How do we help get that out of our clients and help them rewire?
0: Yeah, I think, well, going back to one of the best books I read that really kind of shifted for me was Joe Dispenza. I love his work and the the book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself was really kind of like one of my own personal journeys of like, you know, and it goes along with your toilet paper story, which is fabulous. And But it's true. I mean, it's, you know, I think I read like 95% of our decisions are mainly subconscious And so I I think that goes back to when I first take on a client, it really setting the tone. And I I think that's where as advisors, because I think, you know, the, the advisor want, they want the income or they want the AUM. But for me, it's like, I have to have my clients part of that team effort. I have to have my clients be open and able to kind of, you know, take ownership of their behaviors, because otherwise, like you said earlier, just like we're just giving them a plan and see you later, bye-bye, thank you, and I'll manage your money. Well, I think the bottom line is is that it starts from the very first conversation. It starts with the very first phone call that the client calls and says, Hey, I heard about you. You know, I heard you're great. Would love to come in and talk to you. And I think it's really setting that precedence as far as, okay, this is how I work. And these are the questions that we're going to go to. And, you know, again, it's not all the emotional, It's not all the mental, but it's part of it. And you have to address it. I don't think you can have one without the other. I don't think you can have a successful financial plan without diving into those questions of, you know, how was your childhood? What what did did you see? What is important to you about your money? Where do you want to put it? Why do you want to put that? You know, and I don't think anyone has really asked those questions before. They want the guy in the bow tie and you know and the beautiful charts and the rates of return but i think there's so much space now that we've learned between where i was in 84 and where we are in 2022 and the the top advisors are learning that they have to ask these questions and that's what keeps the clients coming back
1: and it and it brings full circle some of our conversation that we had just a second ago is about you know you got to pry the clients are going to feel uncomfortable answering that question tell me about your childhood they're gonna be like yeah, blah, blah. but you got to go deeper but we we have an industry that we're we're, we're trepid you know we we don't want to go deeper because we don't want to push the client too far into something uncomfortable but we got to go deeper because once yeah. you get them to that point where they expose it yeah. there's this whole new there's this whole new kind of relationship that's built yeah. that's extremely powerful but it you is. have to overcome that and that but that's a challenge that's a really hard skill to have it is. um that comes to advisors
0: yeah, yeah. And I think for some of the newer advisors and of course, you know, I used to be a managing director, so I know what that's like. I mean, you know, you got to produce, you got to bring in the AUM, you got to be doing that. But I think I think the younger generation and even the older generation, I mean, there's so many doing, you know, the old way. But I think you need to do something that's going to make you stand out as an advisor and it's not about whether they bring you the money it's whether they also stay and they bring their friends and they really share about what they're you know they're doing and i think you know what is it it's like you know leading a horse to water but you can't make him drink it's so true you have to have the clients because otherwise they're going to put all of that expectation on you as the advisor but there's a lot of responsibility that they need to take as well too because you know again we're dealing with inflation crazy rates right now. We're dealing with a volatile market, but you know what, Matt, as you know, being in the industry, it's the same. It really is. It's mm-hmm. just rinse, repeat, add a little COVID in here, add a little you know, extra inflation and all of this supply chain demand. But again, back in the 80s, we were dealing with 10, 12% inflation. So, you know, I think you have to ask the question, okay, if clients are coming up and saying, Hey, I want to pull out, well, you know you got to you got to ask what's going on and where is this coming from
1: you know i i, I think you're so right right it's always it's a, it's a rinse and repeat with a different you know it's just a different flavor. story but it's the same underlying yeah. theme right it's yeah. a still just a different character same underlying theme and you know i you know we we're, we're talking about this and a lot of the people we talk to on this on, on this show is you know forward thinking innovative leaders in the industry and and people that you know we talk to a lot of behavioral economists and behavioral psych behavioral, ther- behavioral psychologists everybody and and they're they're seeing the the way but I, I've also I sit in the industry, and I think that yeah. this is one this is probably the best industry in my mind because of yeah. the value it provides and the impact it can have on changing people's lives. And the right. people that are doing it, the, for the majority are amazing individuals. But there is this 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 this, this desire that there, we don't we have this mentality that if the, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Right? This is an industry that we can grow without changing. We don't have to change. And we're talking about all these things that we think people should do. Get deeper, get a lot more EQ, right? Get out of the analytics, get into the the EQ and, and the touchy-feely gooey stuff. But people, I don't know if the industry is adopting this yet or accepting it fully. And my question really is, is that what is it going to take to get more of the industry to move from analytical to emotional to help yeah. people reach their financial goals?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think first and foremost, the, you know, you got to do the work yourself. As an advisor, you got to do the work yourself and you also have to, you know, I think it's going to take a lot to change the industry, but there's already definitely a shift in the air. There really is. Because I think the top, you know, advisors and the top people that are out there, there's too much noise. You know, there's too much noise as far as, you know, just with a lot of the authors that are coming out. I know you wrote a couple books, which were fabulous and you touched on that. And, you know, and also to the older generation is dying out and this younger generation, these 40 year olds, you know, my, my generation is a Gen Xer. We're watching our parents pass away. Our kids are in college. I mean, so, you know, we're actually the more closed off generation, believe it or not. So it's, it's my generation that's really hard to change and you know the kids that we brought up are you know they have this a lot not to say in general but some of them are a title and they haven't really gone through the hard work that we were brought up that worth that work mm-hmm. ethic so i i think there has to be, you know, almost kind of a earthquake in the financial industry, and you know I agree with you. Everything's been the same. Why change something? It's been working, but is it really? Is it really working? You know, it, are people coming new into the financial industry, and is there reason to help people, or is it to make money? Because I mm-hmm. think, you know, we saw in the past was like, Oh, you can make money in the financial industry, da da da. Now we got crypto, we got, you know, Bitcoin, we got this whole nother side of it. But I think there's always going to, and then of course we went into the robo, but I agree with you. People want a human being. They want to have a conversation. They want to be asked the questions, what is important to them. Otherwise, we might also well just be a robo society in our financial world. We really would. And it's just, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, you're so spot on, right? The younger generation is so much more used to change because they grew up, right? We have to think that they grew up in a generation that had always had the iPhone and the yeah. internet, right? Yeah. We not all of us did, and and so change is a little bit more difficult. Um, and I, I I don't know. I, I think that there is. I'd be interested to look at, I don't have it. Maybe I can do some research on it with our team is that, you know, the impact that advisors have made, right? There's more RIAs than ever, but what is the, how do we judge our impact? right? Mm-hmm. Is it the number of families we're serving? Is it the number of families that are having a successful retirement? Is it the amount of wealth transfer that we're having? We have to understand what our what our impact is. And I think that that's, that's the beauty of the industry is that each firm can dictate that. And each individual can go and find the firm that meets them. But I, I do think that there needs to be this switch of what our value is. And it's yeah. more EQ than it is analytical. But unfortunately, yeah. we all go back to well, what did the market do? You know, right. What did the market exactly.
0: do? what's my rate of return for the year? Where are we in the quarter? I mean, you know, all of that. And, you know, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. What are we gonna do? And, you know, I think us as advisors, you know, it is our duty, I think, to really mitigate a lot of this fear. I mean, and again, you know, being in the industry, as long as both you and I have, it's like the same thing, recycle, repeat. And they come to us for peace of mind. So to me, success with my clients is not the AOM. It's not, I mean, I look at it as like, okay, my clients have stayed with me for a long time. So that tells me that I am doing something right. Hmm. And, but I also think it's okay, are they, how is their life? Are they able to sleep? Do they, are they happy? Are they, you know, and it's not, it's so much deeper than the rate of return. It really is. And you know, are they able to have the conversation with their kids about how they want their, you know, burial to be, and how they want their older, you know, life to be handled? And it, we are able to empower our clients to even have the deeper conversations with their kids. That to me is our responsibility and our job. Yeah, I
1: think, I think that that's so powerful. And you, you came up with something and I, this is, I want to ask this question before I lead into my final two to let you get back to impacting the lives of others is the flourish formula. Yeah. I'm curious on that, right? You speak about, you know, the impact that you're making and how people judge the flourish formula. Can you tell us a little bit more about the flourish formula?
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, it really came for me. It was like, okay, what is it what what is it that takes for my clients to flourish? And I think, again, going back to asking the right questions, what's important about their money to them? How do they want to leave their legacy? How do they want their, you know, elderly years to be? And really diving into some of those deeper questions of why they're making the decisions in their money and or not. And so I think it's really combining those deeper questions with my clients, uncovering some things that might be keeping them stuck. And then they can actually have an aha moment as far as why they're making their own decisions in their financial lives. And they can actually learn that they're probably in their own way. And so it's really being an analytical intuitive as far as, okay, we can combine the analytical, yet we can actually help people become more intuitive of what's important to them and really teach them how to learn to be more intuitive, what feels right for them. And that's really, to me, is flourishing. It's not just about having your money and where to put it but feeling good about where it is and how it's invested. And also learning to know when you make a financial decision, asking yourself the question, am I coming from fear or am I coming from abundance and love? And and really that's where we start. And if not, then I teach them some very specific skills of how to get there and how to learn to be like that. Mm. So those are the only clients that I take on is, you know I don't care how much money they have. And I know it's a poo poo to say But if my clients aren't willing to actually participate and go into some of these deeper areas, I won't take them on. Mm -hmm. Period. Because I know that the end result success wise is for their own good and where they want to achieve long term. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, it, it touches on something you said earlier, right? The only way that we can get to those conversations deeply is for us to put in the work ourselves. Yeah. I think that that is so powerful. I think that's something that I've experienced over the past five or seven years is putting the work in myself has allowed me to be a more thoughtful EQ advisor than I was prior. Now that comes with some experience and time right. and everything of that nature. But, but if I hadn't put that in, I can see others that are on the same trajectory of me and they haven't had the same impact, is because they're not putting it on themselves. So, if you want to make that change, I think what I take from your 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 insight is start with yourself as opposed yeah. to trying to do it with others and see right. what journey it goes on and give yourself time before you start doing it with others. And I think that that may be the impact or the moral of the story as exactly. well. Exactly
0: yeah and then i think your life experiences is like you know i'm a huge jack canfield fan meaning you know you take 100 responsibility for your life you really do all the choices that you make and you know i've gone through divorce and helping with elderly parents and all of the life stuff that comes up and you have to stand back and really take you know a deeper look at okay why are the choices i'm making and are they really for my own good and if not, you, know, you ask yourself the question, what's working, what's not working, and what is in my control to actually change it? Those are the three questions I always ask and I encourage my clients to ask, and that's where we start. And then when you get those questions of what is in my control to change something, that's where you can take ownership and start moving forward.
1: Unbelievable, unbelievable. This has been an awesome conversation. It touches on a lot of things that I believe that I think that we need to get the industry to believe. And so I'm super appreciative, Robin, of your time with us. I mean, we could talk for hours, but before I let you go, I've got to ask you the two questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is, and you mentioned it earlier, one of the books that you like, The Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, but I want another book. What's one other book that you think that everybody should read? Because I love learning from people via these conversations and reading books that they like. So what's another book that you think everybody should read?
0: Well, you know, besides Joe Dispenza, the other one that from more of a internal health standpoint is The Body Keeps Score. I think that's such an important book because every thought, everything that you do, your body remembers. And a lot of that is based on past trauma and your health and all of that. From a business standpoint, one of my, cause I have a lot of business owners I work with is Profit First. I love that book. I think it's very, you know, it goes against the grain as far as what we've learned, you know, in the past of how to run a business. But, you know, Mike has it all dialed in and it's so, so well worth the read. It really is.
1: I love it. I love it. And then the last question I ask is and it came from Barron's. They always ask their panelists this question, but what's one actionable takeaway you think our listeners should take away from our conversation here today?
0: Well, I think going back to the three questions is what's working, what's not working, and what's in my control to make the change, but also asking the question. If you're making a financial decision am i coming from fear am i coming from abundance and if i'm coming from fear is this my belief or someone else's belief Mm. am i taking someone else's belief on and where is this coming from so i think it's Mm. always a good to pause before you pick up the phone and call your financial advisor and react and then sleep on it and then see what happens but ask the question
1: love it Love it, Robin Hanover. It's been an amazing conversation, and I've learned a lot. I've taken a lot away. I know the listeners have as well. And if they want to continue following you, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to work with you, what's the best way for them to follow, get in touch, whatever it yes. may be?
0: I kept a really simple, RobinHanover.com. So you can check out my website and you know see what I have to offer. So I'd love to help.
1: Robin Hanover, you're amazing. Thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.